1: from Brighton and they're set up, not even just that, their personnel, I mean, Veltman and Kukurea. How the fuck have these two cons managed to stay off my radar for so long? <laughs> cheating, narky, pathetic bellings. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa
0: Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all.
2: That was good. That was good. A good win. Good performance. Good, good first goal. A screamer of a first goal. I'm playing it down there. Good goal for the striker. The striker scored. Clean sheet. Young lad comes on. Manager gets it right. I missed a string of wrong. We move. This was a good day. Aston Villa fans, can you fucking believe it? And I'll tell you what, Liam. I'll tell you a good stat. Since Aston Villa got promoted... To the premier league with dean smith this is the first time they have won the 3:30 p.m kickoff on a saturday <laughs> good day
1: okay, yeah. good day and we, we did start the game well we started with a lot more energy than we had in the previous two games but that's like like praising someone for not telling a widow that her husband was a cunt <laughs> at the funeral like <laughs> running around is the least we should be expecting but for the first 15 minutes, we had absolutely no composure in either attack or defense. And I'm going somewhere with this. And I was just strapping myself in for two hours of torture. I mean, to be able to speak to in this podcast, I thought I was going to have to pin my, o- my eyes open like clockwork orange. But with no need for the nausea and just drugs because I'm already well conditioned to feeling sick <laughs> watching Villa. But amazingly, and against all expectation and all recent evidence, we turned it around. We started a game poorly and had the mental fortitude to realise that we were in control of how the next 75 minutes <laughs> go. But it was probably the most heartening thing about the game. And and that's in a game with Maddie Cash to scored a screamer with a slash across the ball and Tyrone Mengs has got an assist with a 60-yard lump down the field for Ollie Watkins to end a seven-game goal right, making our back catalogue of podcasts sound like a fucking collection of S Club 7 B-sides. <laughs>
2: Um, just to clarify, I'm worried you took that stat I gave you and swallowed it whole. Like you know, there's obviously not been a 3:30 PM kickoff on a Saturday. Um, that's why Aston Villa have won their first 3:30 PM kickoff on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> the game is delayed, runner. I can't believe it, two minutes into the podcast and I'm explaining a really shit joke. <laughs> Let's talk about the goals, yeah. Let Matt Cash shoot. I have always said it, Matt Cash gets a side-on goal. Let the man have a pop, why not? Because you get glory out of it once every 27 times. But that was a screamer of a goal.
1: Yeah, and we had just had our first bit of quality of the game, 15 minutes in with Ramsey with a trademark drive and, and a float to the back post. It doesn't quite work out because he's unfortunately floated it to Danny Ings. <laughs> but the the touch and smash from Cash whenever it eventually gets recycled, are absolutely out of this world and completely out of character. I mean... This is the player who was. This is the player he was threatening to be on the ball during the first few months of the season. Yeah. And little did we know that it was actually a threat, and he was planning on doing untold damage to our fucking mental health for the next few months. But we don't need to talk about that today. He got it right, and it was fucking incredible.
2: Yeah, like getting it out of his feet was actually the biggest, probably the uh, thing that impressed me most in that move because we've so often or too often over the last few games. So I'm getting. It, Trapped under his feet and standing over the ball, but that first touch, he put it right in front of himself and gave himself just the perfect amount of time to be able to connect with it before it gets blocked. It was a, a lovely, lovely stuff. Then he goes on and gets a yellow card. Let's let's talk about this for a second, right? So Matt Cass takes his top off, wants to reveal a message, gets a yellow card. Right? Look, I know, like we we can all accept that we know if you take your top off, it's a yellow card, right? <laughs> But can we just, I don't know, can can we expect a referee to apply a bit of common sense to this or turn a blind eye? Matt Cash whips his top off and he's revealing a message that says, it's a message of support to a Polish footballer, Thomas Kiziora, who is in Kiev with his family. And he's just saying, stay strong to you and your family. And I, I just find it really, it doesn't sit right with me at all. That we think like we need to give us a yellow card. I think a referee would not be punished, and nobody would raise an eyebrow if he just turned his back on that and said, "Yeah, you know what? Some things are bigger than football." Like you know, I saw people say, "Rules are rules." Like, what sort of shit sort of society are we creating here? What sort of shit sport have we created? And like it, it. I would have loved Matt Cash. You've got my second yellow there today. They really exposed just how pathetic a decision that was, and that like just to. Not let him do it because the confusion lies in if you look at the Man City Everton game, there lovely, lovely sort of bit of solidarity before the match. Everybody standing up, applauding, applauding Ukraine flags, straight down the Man City players wearing you know, no war t shirts or tractor tops, whatever they were. Um, the Premier League has been tweeting from grounds around the country. You know, like, here's what everybody, hears the messages from all these stadiums. So the Premier League are condoning that, just not when it comes down to an actual player then trying to give out a message of support to a teammate as well. And obviously the, the wider impact and the wider people that he's speaking to there. And I just think it's it's so sickening that, like, yeah, no, no sorry. Like, so we can talk about rules or rules, but the rule is shite as well. So, like, if we can take that incident in isolation and say he shouldn't have been given a yellow card for that, let's just... Let's just let it go for today. But let's go back to the rule. Like, who, what does football, what does football think it is? This this is such a pathetic rule. Like, I, I think it's because they want the sponsorships to be revealed at all times. Like, how fucking sad is that? Is football not making enough money that they can't just turn around to a sponsor and say, you know what? Sometimes every 37 goals, you might not be on somebody's shirt, one player's shirt. For whatever like amount of seconds, ten seconds, get over it, suck it up. You're getting great exposure here to billions of people, and I I find it really uncomfortable that like if you go through incident for incident, there are way more yellow cards handed out for people taking off their shirt. If you look in, like, what do we think the clientele is for football? Look into the stadium; like, everybody just has a shirt off. People are drinking beer or fighting. Like, you know, just why are, you, are football pretending like it's so out of? character and out of sync with the sport that somebody might remove an item of the uniform like let's protect the sanctity of a full kit it's 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 a bonkers rule in the first place so we could talk about this one incident and say that was really shite what they did but we can also go back to the rules say can we look at this rule by the way the fact that people are getting yellow cards for this more yellow cards than they would be getting for boys diving how sad is that like what sort of message is that sending out it's worse to take off your shirt because you're no longer wearing a full kit. It's worse to do that than it is to dive and cheat. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, like, yeah, any sort of rational thought pattern would have made something click in the ref's head that this might have something to do with recent events. And he could yeah. have easily just turned a blind eye because, it, you know, he waited. They waited for the game to reset before he did it. And Matt Cash seemed confused because it was so long ago. And also because of obviously what he thought he was showing a message of solidarity with his mate. That should be fine. Like showing over exuberance in a celebration is is just a yellow card offence, and that includes taking off your shirt. I mean, what? Like, what? I assume the defence that we give here is so it doesn't rile up the crowd. Do me a fucking favour. The crowd is not going to be riled up by one player taking off their shirt and running <laughs> towards their own fans. That's not going to be the thing. That's not the straw that's going to break the camel's back. And the ref can make a decision if the fucking the person has been over exuberant or has been incendiary towards the opposition crowd like everybody can tell if he's being a cunt if he starts giving the finger give him a yellow card you know you know take it off his shirt and whooping it around his head and if it is for sponsorship reasons sure he might as well ban diving on your chest after you've scored as well like where can we (laughs) fucking
2: stop with this absolute nonsense yeah the commentator said uh in the second half i think it was um Martinez, we'll talk about that later. I think it was uh, Martinez got booked. He said that's a fifth Villa player booked now. Usually means a letter from the FA. Well, you know what? I hope the FA send that letter and I hope they send a fucking return address along with it because if I was Aston Villa, I would have a few things I'd like to put down in writing and I'd like to send it off to them to read because that is. It's actually a bit disgusting. I don't care if rules are rules. It's a bit shite that you would get punished for trying to. Stand in solidarity with someone that the Premier League are condoning all over the country that same day. It's it's terrible, so out of kilter. The optics are bad. Yeah, but it's not even like he was it's not like he wasn't even picking a side. The side he was picking was
1: his fucking mate who was yeah. in a war zone. Like that's all of it, that's all it said. It's not like it was in any way political. It just said, I hope you don't die, pal. Like yeah. you know, it was fucking insane that he
2: wouldn't that's yeah. ah, mental stuff. Nah, it's it's, it's so shite. And that anyway, the referee completely let that game get away from him like you know it's bad when they say robert brooks making his third premier league appearance ever before the <laughs> before the match i'm like jesus he he just lost control of that game after about half an hour it got to a stage the foul count in the first half was 12 and he would handed out six yellow cards <laughs> <laughs> the yellow card every two fouls, like and, and Brighton were actually targeting them then, like they were actually trying to lean into how bad this referee was, and he was so bad that he couldn't fucking realize it. He just got swept up in it all, and uh, once again another great job by the Premier League in promoting somebody who doesn't look cut out for it. it
1: was like, what, when did Villa sign up for this fucking internship program with the <laughs> PGMOL? Like it's nonsense. <laughs> That's two weeks in a row. It's but they can't just be given lads a go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you you want to ref a game here? uh, These two teams as well are soft as shite. I mean, they don't want the scrap. The ref might as well have been egging them on, flapping his arms and clucking like a fucking chicken. They completely (laughs) lost their own of himself and lost control of the game. It reminded me of a time two lads in my year in school were told they were fighting each other at the back gates at half three. They were told this by other people. They had no involvement in the organisation of this fight and no (laughs) idea why they were fighting. And then when they got out there, they were just kind of standing around until everybody started closing in on them. And they were standing so close to each other, you could see the panic. And then one of them just swung an absolute haymaker. It was rubbish. Hit off the guy's shoulder. But because they had been forced together, like this referee, forced fucking Bill and Brighton together, they ended up having a fight and it was a mess. I think one of the guys ended up putting putting the other lad's head in the school bag or something mental like that. <laughs>
2: More back gate stories, please. Two um, 0 Ollie Watkins, like like we say, let Matt Cash shoot whenever he has the ball. We've always said that. Let Tyrone Mings hoof the ball over the top whenever he has the ball. We've always said that as well, haven't we?
1: <laughs> yeah, four hundred and seventy eighth time lucky for the Mings Watkins combo, <laughs> I and mean, it's not, it's not even one of Tyrone's more measured balls. I mean, he's he's under a bit of pressure, and it's an out. Ollie Watkins is always an out. And then it's absolutely dreadful from Veltman, who oh. goes out of his way to show us that he's not just a cunt, he's a useless cunt as well. <laughs> Showed all the composure of John Stones under a high ball. And <laughs> that must have been Ollie Walken. That must be Ollie Walken's most common goal pulling away on the shoulder and smashing one in with his left foot.
2: Good yeah, he, he just banks on a defender doing something stupid like that. And it's amazing how often they do do something stupid. Like he just, Veltman. The ball's been in the air about a second. So that travels about 10, 20 metres. And Veltman takes a step forward. For some reason, gets confused with the flight of it. And Watkins doesn't. And he's straight through. And uh, the right of touch is lovely. Just pulls it away from Dunk. He's trying to close in on him from the other side. And then the left footer finish is gorgeous. And it's funny because when you look back at the replay, you can see a lot of Villa fans just beating down through the weeks. And obviously um, Watkins has had a bad run of it. And you can see a lot of them just standing behind the goals, looking at us. <laughs> there's not a lot of anticipation, and then that just completely flips on its head. Like literally, in a lot of cases, there's limbs going everywhere. It's all legs in the air, but just a juxtaposition of boys standing there going, "Go on, Ollie, have a have a have a chance there." And then everybody, it was mayhem after he, after he put it in.
1: Yeah, it caught everybody by surprise. There must have been something in the way his body shape was because the keeper the keeper's positioning was really weird as well. It was like he wasn't expecting the shot. He went down with his down on his left knee and then the ball just whipped past him and he didn't seem to be expecting it either. But it was it was a, an amazing camera angle from behind Watkins to see that going in.
2: Yeah, lovely finish. Lovely result. We we'll take that and we will take this and move it on into WhatsApp winges. We'll First WhatsApp whinge. What on earth was Ollie Watkins complaining about to Matt Cash after he's just scored a screamer? Matt Cash has scored, well, probably the second best goal he's ever going to score. Um, (laughs) Ollie Watkins, it seems to be gesturing to him. I don't know. Was it like, you know, yeah, I would have done pretty much the same thing. Or was it like, you know, play me the fucking ball a bit more or put your shirt on? I don't know. I, he, he didn't seem <laughs> that happy about it. Like I don't know. I don't want to turn this into a bit of a Ronaldo thing. What happens when an older player scores? and just sort of scooped the ball up and and walked out towards him, and then he started seemingly giving out to him.
1: Yeah, well, like this is the thing. Is it's a tricky situation. And Matt Cash technically got away with one there. I mean, everything else we've ever seen from Matt Cash would tell you that he puts that into Rosette or more typically into a defender's ankles so Wally Watkins was probably saying okay you got away with it this time but you know next time let's do the right thing make the right decision
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll have to look back to see where Watkins well maybe Watkins is wide open I don't know um we give him the benefit of the doubt if Watkins didn't score today I would be feeling a lot more angry at him for, <laughs> you know, at, least, at least his players fucking score at least his players should
1: yeah, well, like, that's the thing. And and then it, it, it's unlikely to have been what I just said, but even if it was, it is the right thing if it goes fucking flying in off the back post.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Second WhatsApp one, does Douglas Louise here we go, <laughs> does, it, does Douglas Louise actually think diving as a number six is a good idea? And, you know, <laughs> does he think that diving is a good idea? When you're not in possession, you don't have the ball. And you have given the ball away. So why on earth would diving now be a, a good solution to what's just happened? The problem that you've just created?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, pulling on a 20-yard pass is unforgivable. When Doing it twice, I mean, we have to assume he was taken off early so that Langa could terminate his contract before the game was up so that they weren't <laughs> obligated to give him a lift home on the coach. Well, obviously, we don't have to assume that, of course, because we know he was taken off early because he was a liability, because he appears to be brain dead, but still somehow able to send neurological impulses to his muscle fibers so that his body is animate, because his fucking brain isn't. I mean, the only thing he could have done to make his performance worse was to lose the ball in the middle of the pitch. And instead of winning the ball, instead of fouling the man, instead of taking the joy out of his afternoon... He takes the joy out of all our afternoons. He lifts his knees and goes sliding across the ground in the worst attempt at a foil ever, screaming as he just watches the opposition player go streaming through the middle. He can't do that. You've lost the ball. Like you say, he's died after the other player has the ball and is moving <laughs> forward. Get <laughs> fucking back. What are you playing at?
2: I can't believe that I have seen this too much now. I've seen Douglas Louise give the ball away right in the middle of the pitch and proceed to bend his knees, like make his body completely stiff, as if he's just been shot dead and now fall over on that body, as he just has a little peek to hope that Kanza or Mings can pull him out of another hole again. I ca honestly. I remember one time, you know, when you're all all these little like, you know, development uh things that you go through when you're growing up like these little landmarks that you go through i remember one time i was playing a, a game of football in primary school and i couldn't catch somebody i remember they were just far too fast for me and i fell down pretended that i was injured and i've never ever forgotten how sad is that and you know i, I think i've always judged other people harshly then when i think that they're doing that now when they're older because i promised myself i would never ever do that again i like you know Hypothetic, like just gave up on it. I, I wanted out of the situation. I wanted to be somebody else to just take pity on me. I pretended something Don't and Douglas way He's just doing this over and over at Premier League level when he is the one. He's the one being tasked with saving these situations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate your honesty there, but that's probably something you should have kept to yourself because it's definitely something I'll bring up again. But- <laughs> It, it, it's it's terrible that he's that he's that he's, the dive is absolutely atrocious. It's pathetic. It's mentally weak, and it's not a, it's not even a believable dive. But that was the second time he pulled. A 20 yard pass. I mean, that is just unforgivable. Like, it wasn't a difficult skill. Yeah. I mean, you can pull a shot when you're under pressure and you're panicking, maybe because you're free on goal, pull a 50 yard cross pass, even hook across out of play. We find people for that. But <laughs> rolling the ball to your fucking left back and you're passing it to a bright player, not even close to him. Like, it was so far out of position. Yeah. It was a
2: laugh. Yeah, and once again, he's doing it, like you said, to a left, but he's doing it to a defender who's pushing up, and it's a simple pass across, and he can't do it. Like, yeah, if crossing the ball out of play is a fine, maybe you're right, this is a contract termination move. <laughs> Barry Robertson got in touch with another WhatsApp one, John Douglas Louise. He said, can Dougie stop acting like he's a fourth year versus a first year in the time game of football? And it's, it's such a... It's such a lovely paint or picture that he's painted. It's an ugly picture, really. But that—that that is the sort of crux of Douglas Luiz because there's a lot of time there where it does seem like it's just like, do, do, do you know that fourth year up against the first year where he's just leaning into him because he's stronger? It's like, oh, you're not going to get this ball off me. I'm going to put my foot on it. I'm just going to keep it away from me. And he's actually not going anywhere. Or he's looking to nutmeg somebody and he might lose a ball after he nutmegs, but he'll start laughing at you because he's nutmeggy. And it's like, you just kick the ball away. Like, it doesn't count if you don't get it at the other side. Um, or he'll just roll to another fourth here and keep the ball away. But it, once again, he's not actually impacting on the match. And it feels like Douglas Louise is doing this. Like, so much so that I saw the Villa bus was late going down to Brighton. And I was like, a bet a Douglas Louise is up to someone. I bet he stopped for a piss. And he's just messing around, and they can't get him back onto the bus. He's just, he's just mucking around doing something. They've had to stop the bus because he spilled something down the back, or like you know, and like it's it's starting to form a a character of Douglas So he's Like you know, this is this is what he does. He's a fourth year playing against first years. He's stopping the bus. Getting down, I guess it's just just too much of this stuff now that I'm starting to think this is Douglas Louise.
1: <laughs> Douglas Louise is to blame for traffic. Uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah, it, it is a good image, but the other thing to think about that is that the fourth year is is typically stronger and is typically better at football. Douglas Louise is neither of those things whenever he's on a Premier League football pitch.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the crux of it. Like, yeah, he's trying to do this stuff and always ends up losing the ball um <laughs> next what's up winch all right i don't want martinez getting a yellow every single time we're in the lead uh. <laughs> <laughs> this must be the last three times we've taken a lead against the team martinez gets a yellow character. we can't we can't be doing this all the time like come on
1: yeah it's 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 out of hand now at this stage and as well he's going to give himself a reputation do You know, like every time Sterling falls over, somebody assumes it's a dive. He's, he's never going to get another penalty right Sterling yeah. in his life, probably. And every time Martinez holds a ball, it will seem like to everybody else that it's lasted 15 seconds, whenever only seconds have dripped by. Because he's really fucking obvious about it as well. There's, there's nothing subtle about him. Maybe that's to do with his size as well. <laughs> it's just to be fucking <laughs> obvious on the pitch. But I think it's mostly just because everybody is well attuned to the fact that he's an arsehole. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, rest want to give that yellow now. Like, they want to show that they're they're honest. Like, and I don't want to have this feeling. Like, as soon as Ville wanted a lead, it's like, oh, God, our keeper's going to get suspended. And I don't know how many yellow cards he has, but I know he's going to get close to being suspended for a match now as well. <laughs> Douglas Louise also, like, yeah, we talked about him kicking the ball away from people practicing free kicks. Like, <laughs> he's just, he is a 4 fear run, right? It could be an in-betweeners. You know, people trying to take free kicks and he's poking it away. going way stopping the team bus getting down. And yeah, he's just leaning into boys and and losing the ball, pretending they dive, Having too much crack, really. And it's not what I want to see from our enforcer. Um, Last WhatsApp one. Just do that every week. (laughs) Just do that. That was way better. Just, Just keep doing that. What was the issue? What was the issue the last few weeks? Do that.
1: Yeah, but like we we changed a lot of things today. (laughs) To be fair, changed the formation, that work changed the players' attitudes, changed as well. And if we could do that every week, but that's the thing: these things should be absolute bare minimums. Stephen Jared was desperate for a form, to shoehorn a formation in for Aston Villa that wasn't working, and he should have just done what he did today, changed it, and had a look at something else. He's still early in the job; he still has to figure out how it's going to work with his players. He didn't get to sign everybody that he wanted, so he should have adapted to that i mean it's not it's not a great sign for a manager whenever they're rigidly sticking to the one formation that they know regardless of the players that they have available and it's a really bad sign for the players whenever their fucking attitude stinks and they've stopped running so those two things should have been the absolute bare minimum and yes that is just what we should do
2: every week (laughs) nice segue um because we're going to talk about the formation next after this
0: good evening I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Lish. And now we've been gutted, organ donors for the rich, Boston's taken our kidneys, Yankees have taken our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual. It's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not, you're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. we got to think differently. It was never our intention to replace Jack. With one football. Guys, i are still trying to replace Gianni. I told you we can't do it. We can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Create him in the The What? How often? His creativity, his assist, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others, in three forward players three ball players three ball players and in doing so have also reduced an over dependency on one brilliant footballer. add that up and you get emiliano buendia leon bailey and danny Ings. they truly are the future if we try to play like the yankees in here we will lose to the yankees out there
2: i don't know what that means Alright, let's get straight into the Tim Sherwood. We played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. Well, we ditched our two number 10s, and the first nomination is the Diamond. I think it created a bit more space, didn't it? Like, it's definitely less predictable. And I think the two number 10s, you know, when teams started to work it out, it just encouraged them to trap us a little bit it felt like yeah it was a bit obvious what we were looking to do through the middle it was easier to close us down easier to slow us down we didn't have um another player stretching teams we were sort of just getting caught over ourselves and we emboldened fullbacks to get forward and pin us back and pin Ramsey and McGinn back just the change of putting <laughs> I know we can talk about Ings and walkings and stuff like that but having an extra body up top and then having extra runners it just seemed to create more space
1: yeah, and we had to make a change. And I think the, the two number 10s was the obvious choice. I mean, it was bamboozling us. We, we couldn't couldn't get enough people forward, and defensively, we were a shambles as well. We were asking our fullbacks to attack and defend on their own. Buendia and Coutinho were just kind of aimlessly occupying space in the defensive setup, and that forced the midfielders to go too wide, or in other cases, encouraged them to go wide because they thought there were enough bodies in the middle, but it was. Bundy and Coutinho not really doing much, and then, so we were too porous as well. And Ings and Watkins splitting and leaving Coutinho as the centre forward gave us much much better structure, and even just just one of the players were more more used to as well def- to be able to defend with two wide players. Well. Attacking wise, I think we were probably still a bit stifled. I mean, I can't remember a progressive thing that Danny Ings did on the on the ball during that match. He was I'm not sure if the two up top actually actually really worked. I mean, we weren't that incisive. Probably only had 10 shots during the game. Created a couple of big opportunities, but the one of the goals we scored was just a ball floated over the top and the other goal we scored was a screamer from a right-back.
2: Yeah, there is a, a big element of that and it probably just comes back to things and Watkins thing again. They're not a partnership, you know, and Watkins wasn't bad today, but, you know, he's not linking up with things. I just think, it was structurally better so if I, if I just sort of dip into the you we did Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award, like, Ings is sort of one of the nominations because, like, you know, he won the Ashley Westwood Award, like, he, I didn't realise he was playing until Veltman dived and, you know, where suddenly the camera was on Ings and it was like, did I do anything? You know, like Graham Potter was cracking up and I, I realised Ings was on the pitch and I don't know what he was doing right there I, I think the extra body did help but Anybody could have been that extra body. Like, you know, he, it's harsh on Buendia losing his place today. I think it was, might have been necessary for some of the reasons that you're laying out. And I do think him and Coutinho, in an attacking sense as well, are sort of occupying the same space. So in a way, it's just giving you less options and putting more emphasis on cash and, and Dina than more emphasis than you'd like anyway. Um, but it, you could have theoretically put Buendia up top and told him that's where you're playing. And like, you know, maybe when you get the ball, you can help out a bit more you can create a bit more but you have to hold that shape but I I just don't know what Ings offered really apart from a body to keep a better structure on the game
1: well that's it like yeah I mean if you if you were worried about picking Buendia because you didn't think he would play as a center forward he wouldn't stretch the opposition he wouldn't be disciplined and wouldn't run in behind relentlessly off the shoulders then picking Danny Ings was a new answer either. Exactly, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, But we I, I do know that Buendia would have come out, he would have occupied the same space, he would have gotten a continuous way, and it wouldn't have he wouldn't have been standing, at least standing next to Dunk to give him something to think about, which is what Danny Ings was doing successfully.
2: Yeah, so it's a really interesting one because the way they've both been playing, you'd obviously rather have Buendia in the team. It is harsh, but probably necessary like to make the decision between Coutinho and buendia we were talking during the week you know about that idea like maybe maybe only one of them can play if we're looking for a better defensive structure and, and you don't you don't say that lightly or you don't you're not you're not sort of happy to say it either but it is a, a thing that you had to think about but yeah bringing Ings in instead of him is, is, you'd like to see something more but it's, it's going to be I don't know if headache's the right word, but you're going to have Ings and Watkins starting up top again next game, and you're going to have the same thing where one of them won't really be involved, and it'll probably be Ings because it's usually Watkins who's more involved.
1: Yeah, but like, and the other way to think about it is we won today as well, so it did work. I mean, Brighton are shite. That's the other thing to remember. But the system did work. To a certain degree. We tried it. we had to try something, we can still tweak it again. I still wouldn't mind seeing going back to a flat four three three playing continue on the left wing. He can drop in, he can he can drift from the left wing. And Bundia playing on the right wing as a more orthodox right winger, just as an imbalance four three three. The way we played last season at the start of the year i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that big a deal it wouldn't be that big of a change either but we can change it we can you can change your forward line it's grand we were defending as a 4-3-3 anyway so that's whenever you change it you, you don't want to lose the defensive structure that you have set up and we won't if we if we yeah. play one on the right wing
2: i tell you what that 4-5-1 at the end of the game as well looked good with the personnel we had like you have sanson ramsey and mcginn they're all fast players that were breaking lines when you were trying to counter-attack Brighton. And uh, it's not something you would ever want to start with. But when Brighton were attacking, them, when you're in the lead, it's, it's actually a really good option there. Because those boys are well capable of getting up and joining the striker, who is really good on his own up top, as we know.
1: And that was the important thing as well about, about losing the two number 10s. It gave you the ability for people like Ramsey to be able to break the lines again, which he had just drifted away from. In the last few weeks, he couldn't do it. He couldn't get in the game. Villa couldn't get in the game, so obviously he was less able to join in. But whenever you've got more of a structured setup, then Jacob Ramsey, once again, reveals himself to be an elite player.
2: Yeah. Two more nominations for the Tim Sherwood. We played two number 10s and Bamboozled them award. The first 15 minutes of the second half, that was how to take the pressure off. Like, I think we've been conditioned now with Villa going the lead to just curl up on a ball and hope that the other team doesn't score. They came out and they kept the ball. They pushed Brighton back. They dominated that first quarter of an hour and unlucky maybe not to add a second. It was a, it was just a good heartening uh, bit of intent to come out from the halftime break and probably for the first time then were knitting together a good performance largely in the first half and it comes back out in the second half as well. It didn't drop.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like I said at the start, the turning around the first 15 minutes was brilliant and that was closely followed in terms of heartening things that happened during that game was coming out in the second half with the same energy that 45 minute period between the 15 minutes of the first half and the first 15 minutes of the second half Villa were really really good again caveat it with the fact that Brighton are shite I mean your hero Graham Potter has (laughs) now led Brighton to 20 points in his last 20 games I mean I think only Norwich and Burnley have scored less than them. If it wasn't for the aberration of the first five games of the season, where they won four, Potter would be in a relegation battle in each of his three seasons at
2: Brighton. He's not my hero, by the way. <laughs> uh, last nomination. Tim Erugbenum. Finally, we saw him. Or as I like to call him, Tim Get the Foodin' Erugbinum. <laughs> <laughs> this boy is... is I, I know... It, maybe he was only involved three, four times in the five, six minutes that he got, but I know that you like the cut of this boy's jib because he doesn't stand back. He doesn't let boys just dance in front of him. He just sticks the food in like we always ask for. And he did it twice to great effect. One time, you know, McGinn cleaned up behind him. That's all right. That's what McGinn's there for. Like he got the food in and he swiped it away and it was like, oh God, where's that broken to? It's broken to John McGinn. Don't worry about it. And uh, he got down and blocked another... Like for an eighteen-year-old,s like it, it it takes up a lot of space. I don't want to jump to a deck and rice comparison just yet, but, <laughs> but, but let's go there. No, he uh, I haven't seen him stride on the ball yet, so we don't know his stallion credentials just yet, like deck and rice has. But it it covers a lot of ground very easily, and I, I like that in a defensive midfielder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a moment as well where he did a double dummy on the ball just to buy himself a bit of space. He almost ironically stepped towards the ball and the Brighton player stepped off twice and that gave him enough space to then release, I think it was John McGinn, down the right wing. So he's obviously got a bit of quality and a bit of calmness. He asked for the ball whenever he was in a pocket in between four Brighton players twice yeah. and then just popped it off. <laughs> like you would expect the centre midfielder to do. And this was in a game that was not in the balance, but, you know, it's if Brighton had a scored the stadium would have erupted and it would have been a really dodgy 10 minutes. And he, he had no baller just coming in, asking for the ball and then popping it off to the fullback because that move is always there. Yeah,
2: absolutely no baller, Tim. More of Tim get the foot in, please. Uh, I think there's a joint winner here for this though, and it's, it's probably the change of shape when, when we needed it and uh, the performance levels staying up probably increasing actually uh, for the second half like just just a couple of things that we really needed addressing and we addressed them so credit where it's due the winner of the uleklam we didn't take a 90th minute penalty award though I do think that i didn't notice this and i don't like that they try to slip it back on their defence. douglas louise hitting the corner yeah,
1: it was really fucking strange. and It was a really shit corner as well. Just kind of floated to the back post. I think Villa ended up winning it because for some reason Brighton didn't realise that we had two centre-halves at the back post. But it was it was strange because we had just whipped in three or four corners in a row that were yeah. actually really good, lovely shape, lovely angle on them. Because, surprise, surprise, Dina and Coutinho were better at
2: taking corners than <laughs> Douglas Louise. It's all going well. Like Everybody's enjoying themselves. Villa are leading and Dougie think, here, lads, lads, why don't I come over and, and try? <laughs> no. No. Everything has changed for a reason. We've made the changes that we've had to make. Um, but yeah, like less of that, please. The Rossenthal Award. Do you know what? Villa were good. As I said, it was a really, really heartening result. Good performance, but couple of big chances from Brighton's end as well that, you know, on another day, maybe another team just smashed them in. But McAllister at the start, Villa are in the lead, 1-0 up, and the commentators are inundating us with these depressing stats. You know? <laughs> like, no other team has been in the lead, 1-0, and lost. Like, no other team outside of Aston Villa. And <laughs> uh Mopey takes a shit touch, obviously, and it sort of goes behind him, and it just bounces up perfectly for McAllister. He ends up clipping the bar, but my God, he needs to be hammering that, and he could have hit it anywhere on goal. He was that close. It was that favorable for him, and he's just completely scuffed it, hit it over.
1: Yeah, geez. I mean, if I was just dropped into a Premier League match now, and that was my one moment, it would be the hit of half-volley, eight yards wide. I mean, it was unbelievable, miss. The commentator has obviously never seen Neil Mapai play before, and claimed for the first 30 seconds that it was a back heel straight into McAllister's path. (laughs) Was the fuck
2: <laughs> uh, Villa nomination Coutinho gets the ball rolled to him at the edge of the box at the, like, like right on the D and this was annoying because it's the first time we've fucking done that for him the first time that we've actually teed Coutinho up where we know he's so deadly from and by God he skied it
1: yeah it was terrible it was actually a nice move to cut everybody by surprise I was annoyed that we hadn't just whipped it in It's like oh here he is and then yeah Christ almighty <laughs> couldn't have hit <had> it worse <laughs>
2: Uh, John McGinn, an unbelievable ball from Douglas Louise from the left. I sort of yeah, lot this trajectory of it was lot like to go that distance, which wasn't very far, but he got it to the back post and have that sort of trajectory was really, yeah, really something. Watkins heads it down, and McGinn, oh, I just think he's just not aware of a defender coming to block him. He's tried to sort of scoop it with his right foot across the keeper instead of just absolutely hammering it. You have to, you have to riff it in those situations. Yeah, like it's, the pass
1: from Dougie is so good. I, I, it must have been a miss hit. He was probably trying to play a back pass. It's, it's hard to believe <laughs> that he pulled that one out. And it's an absolutely brilliant cushion header from Ollie. It takes a small deflection. I think that takes the weight off it. And by the time it gets to him again, I think he's always going to be blocked down. I don't think he really had a, had a chance.
2: Yeah. Uh, not really a nomination. A great run from Jacob Ramsey. Just kept barging his way through. It was like he was playing underage, but he was too old for the age group and just kept winning the ball off boys who were trying to clear it and he got blocked down but he was always going to get blocked down the way the ball broke for him and I think the winner is Mr. Danny Welbeck at the back post six yards out. It's 2-0 to Villa but this could have uh, could have really lit that stadium up which has a really rare atmosphere. It's, it's really a really good atmosphere sometimes. It's bizarre and then people just leave. It's like, they, they seem to be really on their backs quite often but when they get a chance and they get a sniff like, there's a good bit of noise coming from that small stadium, but Welbeck is at the back post. Cash misses the, the cross, and oh my God, it's, it's terrible. Like if, if that was a Villa player, we would be beside ourselves. Yeah, Danny Welbeck
1: with all the composure and class that we'd come to expect from Danny Welbeck. The, <laughs> the, the Ramsey one, I mean, he, he runs in from the left wing into the six-yard box without ever having control of the ball. I mean, I think he actually lost the ball twice. But because he's the best player in world football, losing the ball twice isn't enough for Jacob Ramsey to lose possession. and actually <laughs> it's really unlucky at the end. The only other one I would I would say was Coutinho's free kick. I mean so it's, it's an absolutely brilliant save from the goalkeeper yeah. but it's put me right off Basuma. I mean, he just stood there and let the ball float over his head while the rest of the wall was straining over the top of him in the direction of the ball, not exactly inspiring stuff for a defensive rock.
2: You don't think he wants it enough?
1: (laughs) Let's see how Tim gets on. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) But the the, the atmosphere there was really, really strange because they were amazing at the start. But the commentator said, I think he said they haven't won a game that they've gone behind in. So then it turned very, very quiet, very, very quickly. And even when there was 10 minutes left, Stadium did start to empty, which is absolutely fucking mental. It's only two goals, and whenever the commentator said that, my thought was, "Well, until today, obviously, because you know this is exactly (laughs) the type of situation that Villa will fuck up. This is the redemption story that Villa will offer to everybody in the league."
2: (laughs) Yeah, it has a bit of a a carnival atmosphere. You people just dropping in and out, you know, to lose interest. Ah, yeah, let's head back down to the beach. It's a, it's a weird sort of vibe there. Um, and great to see the seats just emptying as you're worried about Aston Villa buckling under pressure, but there was no pressure to be had from the crowd at that stage. Um, very quickly, the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck award, at the very start, Dolly Watkins shoots off his own foot. I don't know if you remember that. He, like Dignia puts him through after Coutinho put Dignia through and mm. Watkins just shoots of his left off his right and goes out for a goal kick. Um, one that really annoyed me. Look, the winner is obviously Douglas Ruiz. So there was no point in really talking about the wrestling. Uh, <laughs> that Douglas Ruiz non pass to to Dinier, or attempted pass, but um, followed by the dive. Obviously, so it's a double whammy for Doug, Dougie. But uh, just just at the end of that first half, Villa are keeping the ball so well. And actually, it's the best use of Douglas Ruiz that I've seen in months, probably. Like just for a few minutes, Villa were just popping it back to him, and they were. Deep in Brighton territory, Douglas Louise is about 40, 35 yards out. Ball kept coming back. He was throwing it around well. Um, ended up going back to Kanza then eventually, but they had Brighton so far back. I was like, what a way to see out this half. And then Kanza just tries to push a ball through to, I think it was Watkins, and it got cut out. And Brighton break, and they got a corner, and I think Basuma blazed one over from the corner, but just unnecessary. There was 40 more seconds. They keep possession, even keep the pressure on and the centre half tries to push a ball through that Watkins probably wasn't going to hold keep hold of anyway because they were you know there were so many players around him and actually his touch wasn't great to start off the game with that first half especially so (laughs) it was like just just give it back to Dougie. That's how bad it was. Keep giving it to Dougie
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't actually mind it. Whip one into your centre forward. I don't them out the pass... The only thing disappointing from the past for me was that he didn't keep it on the ground. He couldn't rattle it through the improperly, he mishit the ball. Yeah. I don't think there was anything particularly wrong with the, the
2: attempt. Are you saying Peter Enkelmans was worse? <laughs> um, yeah, well anyway, Douglas Weeds is a winner, so it's all it's all pointless chatting about it. The Weiman meter going up. Matt Cash for buying the ticket again, even though we all told him he has a gambling problem when he has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I like somebody who backs themselves.
1: Yeah, and Matt Cash. Matt Cash played well all game as well. Not just the goal, his energy once again up and down the pitch. It's always nice to have that little bit of quality at the end, which has been so badly missing from Matt Cash's performance recently. But yeah, to keep coming back, keep going back to the well, God love him.
2: <laughs> did, did you notice... Uh... He ended up getting back really well on the, the Brighton left-back. And, left back. and uh, it's the one that he sort of back looked Like, the pace of cash is incredible. Like, he looks so caught out. And he gets back, back-heels it off him, and gets a, like, concedes a corner. But he gave out to Martinez for not coming out. And I was like, oh, I don't think Martinez should have been coming out there at all. Like, the ball got played sort of to the inside of cash, and it got received on the outside of him. And it was touched by the left. You know, it wasn't like it was going straight through to Martinez. It was touched by the left back to take it into the box. And Martinez would have had no business coming out there. And maybe Cash just felt like he wanted to project onto somebody else. But Martinez was absolutely right to stand his ground there.
1: Yeah, it would have been absolutely insane stuff for Martinez to come out there. It would have been a Peter Ankleman nomination. (laughs) I'm going to give, because he scored a screamer, I'm going to give Matty Cash the benefit of a doubt and assume that because he had just completed a 100-yard sprint under pressure, panic in his head was a mess, and his head continued to be a mess by the time he turned around to Emmy Martin
2: Yeah, and he actually did well on that move as well, so maybe I shouldn't be finishing off him going up in the Lyman meter by criticising just some <laughs> chat. <laughs> some chat that I don't know what he was saying. <laughs> um, going up, Tyrone Mings for backing himself to find Ollie Watkins again, even though we all told him he was a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that wasn't the best thing that uh, Terrell that Mings did. Terrell
1: Mings got a booking for calling Cucurella a cunt. And, I mean, that's like booking a footballer for passing the ball. I mean, I assume <laughs> that happens every Brighton game, every couple of minutes. Like, someone reminds Cucurella that he's a cunt. Both teams would be down to seven or eight men if we started <laughs> accepting that as a bookable offense.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Mings was good, like, almost almost had a, a dodgy back pass, he, brilliant defending, like, he was strong, he's fast, he comes out, his shoulders boys out of the way, wins it back, actually a good bit of footwork to turn around. And then just almost sells a short, and it's Tim Martinez, thank God, who just stops on the ball and lets the striker run past him. Martinez decides if, I just, if everything just stops here, he's going to keep going. And then he pokes, <laughs> he pokes it out as another player comes in, just pokes it back out to Tyrone Mings, and they're both giving each other a thumbs up as they're under pressure. It's like, get fucking rid of us! But um, yeah, once he, I think this is a few games in a row now, in fairness, that uh, Mings has been good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mings was, Mings was very, very, very good today. And I, I assume he was just trying to lure in the Brighton defender so that he could buy himself a little bit of space so he could hook one over the top for Ollie Watkins. <laughs>
2: um, good to see Kanza back. Good to see Watkins scoring. But going up as well, Mr. John McGinn. I thought he was he was pretty good. I thought he started a bit ropeily, actually losing the ball a few times. I was sort of thinking... He needs that message sent to him that everybody wanted sent to him. <laughs> but like as if Joe McGinn's not going to bring honesty. Like that's what he brings anyway. Like he might not be good all the time, but he's always going to give it everything. I and mean, sometimes he needs to be saved from himself. But I thought he got it right eventually to the ball of energy. And then he went into number six. Interestingly, like we've seen him there before with a partner, but he actually he looked like he was coping with it well there. If you give him that task, I think he's going to do it well if he just put him there on his own.
1: Yeah, John McGinn had been playing really poorly. His quality on the ball was bad. He, was, he wasn't seeing things. He was overhitting things. He was playing things at the wrong time. He was he was ending moves a lot for Villa. Couldn't get himself in the game. He was too deep for the last couple of weeks. And sometimes whenever you're playing like that, whenever you just don't have the touch, whenever you don't have the feel, just stop trying to play that yeah. aggressively. Just hit, you know, calm it down a little bit. The game will come to you. And Brighton certainly came to him so often during that game as well that he was able to use his arse, he was able to play his way into the game. And whenever you have the effort, if you're playing shit, just run. And John yeah. McGinn will do that every time.
2: Brighton have a weird setup. Sometimes it was almost like a bit of a lead setup. Like I, I think Brighton sort of flick between being really cautious to being a bit, a bit silly. Like you would see Basuma charging out when John McGinn is receiving the ball. Like obviously he's been told, like you know, go put pressure on him, but. McGinn sort of rolls around him like he does, and that just sort of opens everything up. And now Basuma, the player that they should want. Like, imagine that the way we talk with Douglas Louise, Imagine we had Basuma, and we paid $40 million for him, and we're seeing him charging into the opposition box to try and put a bit of pressure on, only to get rolled. Like, we would be losing our minds. And, yeah, they're, they're a bit weird sometimes how they just leave themselves open.
1: Yeah, they were they were so exposed back there. It was it was insane stuff. It was really 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 poor performance from from Brighton and their setup. Not even just that, their personnel. I mean, Veltman and Kukurea. How the fuck have these two cons managed to stay off my radar for so long? <laughs> cheating, narky, pathetic balance, throwing themselves to the ground, hounding the referee, holding their faces, and they started the game as centre halves. Like, I, I don't want to confuse you, you're not currently listening to talk sport, but centre-halves can't be at that shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's fitting that you say that because going down on the Vimeo meter, I have Brighton players every time someone challenged them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, mostly.
1: Mostly those two pricks. Yeah, but uh, they were so pathetic, but it was also working. I mean, there was a, there's a period there where the referee gave two yellow cards for shirt-holding. I mean... First off, neither player should be booked for that. And secondly, what an absolute fucking cop. Grow up, you're a professional referee. You can't just book two people because you don't know what happened. Like, that's not fucking on. He booked Ollie Watkins for running
2: past Kukurea. What the fuck was that about? Yeah. Yeah, and he missed missed Kukurea coming and doing exactly the same thing to Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins was just like, okay, this is how we're playing, let's go. Like, you know, let's have a bit of physicality. Um, and then Cucurella rounded it by rolling around for the next 90 seconds going down, Dougie obviously, and going down suggestion, Ollie Watkins for chatting to Neil Mupai afterwards <laughs> 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 I don't want my team giving this point of time either. it just had flashbacks to I remember Henry, 2009 sitting down beside Richard Dunn after he cheated Ireland out of a World Cup place and Richard Dunn sits alongside him and chats to him. I, I blame Richard Dunn for that. Everybody was like, fuck off, fuck off, Thierry. I was like, yeah, but Richard Dunn should be telling the fuck off. And the same with Ollie Watkins. When Neil Mapai comes up to you, I know he hasn't cheated a country out of a World Cup place, but he's not far off it in general. <laughs> 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 he comes up to you afterwards. To, nah, sorry, mate. Like, you know, I, I might be pleasant inside even though there's no cameras.
1: <laughs> yeah but he's just showing the humility of somebody who's won a game which is very easy to do yeah. but just to correct you I mean Thierry Henry cheated Ireland out of a penalty shootout that they definitely would have lost
2: <laughs> wow wow questions we can't answer but probably will when are Leeds going to really <laughs> <laughs> When are these going to realise that they would have a better chance of winning if they weren't intent on conceding at least three goals every game? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think yeah.
1: Rick Marcello be also for a man who looks to be perpetually constipated, it's pretty funny that that the opposition, any opposition, just run through (laughs) a side like a two week old Vindaloo that's been left out in the sun, just pouring through the massive hole at the back. And I, I like Leeds as well like they, make, they do make the league better, but they don't have to sacrifice themselves for the rest of us. Yeah. Like they don't have to make murders of themselves. I mean it would be amusing exciting even to see someone standing bollock naked in the middle of the city flogging themselves with a cat of nine tails. but like after a while, when the blood and tears start to appear, it'll just get harder and harder to watch and it's the tears. I'm telling you this now, it's the tears that will affect me the most. Like, what am I watching? This is so depressing. Like I just get an empty feeling whenever I'm watching Leeds play. You know? I mean, the excitement has been replaced by pity. And I'm not advocating for Burnley here. I'm not coming out to punch for, for Sean Dyche. But, but Leeds can't play this system because their players are shit. They can't attack like this because you can't lose the ball in this system or you'll be exposed. Yeah. And shit players... Will lose the ball regularly. Yeah. And you can't defend man for man because if you do, your shit players will be one-on-one <laughs> with decent players. Who do you think is gonna win there? And like Liam Cooper, Calvin Phillips, and Patrick Bamford are huge losses, obviously. Yeah.
2: But that just makes the persistence with this system all <laughs> the more ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've never seen something more predictable in my life. Like, you'd you, you think any other team, like, you remember they got spanked by United, and it's just, it's amazing that you know the exact same thing is going to happen three days later against Liverpool. Like, and it's worse, obviously, because they're playing a better team, and it's crazy that, that you know that's going to happen and nothing will change. And I wonder, do none of the players, like, you know, these guys, these poor fuckers here, told like you know re- remember re- remember they were told to go man-on-man with continue as well and like it's just the, the 10 yards of space and being turned so easily and would like it was alien per per alien being asked to go man-on-man with continue do none of them along the way think maybe we should say look i don't think i'm actually up to this or maybe maybe three of us will get the better of this man man-on-man but like they're going to end up being six on three because the rest of us aren't going to be able to stay man on man. I think it's bizarre. And like you say about the persistence, like Leeds now have conceded sixty goals in, <laughs> <laughs> in twenty six games. Like so that's that's, that's two point three goals a game. It like, gets absolutely insane. And it, obviously, you know, Biel's just done an incredible job. Like overall, with Leeds, and it has been really exciting as well. And like you say, like it is like. Yeah, I actually do like Leeds. I know we've got a bit of a, a fake rivalry built up now over the last couple of years. But, but yeah, it's, it's great having them back sort of thing on the whole. But he does a lot of research and analysis and apparently he watches so many games during the, you know, during every day. And I, I really believe it as well. But what what is he watching them for? Like, what? <laughs> Why is he spying on all the teams? Like, is, is he just obsessed with football? Which is absolutely fine, but he is not applying anything he's learning from <laughs> any of these other teams. He's not taking away any. He's just going out and doing exactly the same thing again. So he actually just must enjoy being cons- like consumed with football, and he's not like taking that back into the Leeds changing rooms, anyway.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's absolutely it's absolutely mad. I mean, they've, they've conceded twenty goals in the last five games. They have played Everton and Aston Villa in that time. I mean, <laughs> fucking hell! That's a, that's a just beyond the joke.
2: Yeah, Villa's next two games actually, <laughs> Watford and Newcastle as well. Who you would think are worse than Leeds? Villa's next two games their uh, average. XG was not point seven. <laughs> <laughs> but they managed to hit Leeds for three. Like it's uh ah, it's crazy. God love them. Second one, last one. <laughs> Does Mark Hughes really think his head won't explode by taking a League Two side? (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: of all the things from 15 years ago, you know, all off Melbourne, booing Villa off the pitch because they didn't go top of the table, my ability to have a pint without having to write the following week off, Mark Hughes' relevance wouldn't have been very high on my list of things I would like to have seen make a comeback. (laughs) (laughs) And the the best thing about this is that Mark Hughes is is only relevant because it's so fucking bizarre that he's taken
2: the League 2 job. He's taken the Bradford job for anybody. Like, a lot of people probably missed it. And I can't believe it. Like, yeah, he's had a career in the Premier League. He's, He's been all right. The thing I would say about Mark Hughes is that he does just seem absolutely insane. Like, he seems like he's going to burst at any point, so I always wondered like, how long could he actually stay in the changing room Like, he seems very angry uh, he seems very short-fused and he seems like he makes a lot of promises that he doesn't deliver on, I always remember twice two jobs, QPR and Stoke maybe but he'd come out and be like that's never going to happen again under my watch and then of course, like, you know, it does happen again. <laughs> and obviously he gets more and more crazy and more and more wound up. And I just can't believe that this player as well who's played at that level, and then his manager who's managed at that level and you know, as I said, did relatively well and play like managed better players. He's now gone to the fourth tier and he thinks he's got the temperament to handle it. Yeah,
1: like it. it is going to be unbelievably tough for him. I mean, he's just gotten beaten 2 0 by Mansfield. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Mark Hughes' life now. Oh,
2: God. It uh, could be worse. You could be Steve Bruce uh, just taking Westbrook further and further down the championship table. Um, but it could be a lot better if you supported Aston Villa. Here we are, off the back of a win. We all deserve that one. And now another week enjoyed Southampton at home next we know they're going to play 4-4-2 let's set it up accordingly let's not be surprised <laughs> by it <laughs> we know what Southampton they're bringing let's not do a Marcelo Bielsa on it let's uh, let's maybe adapt for that but that was good um, delight it with a win delight it with a response and yeah we'll leave it at that thanks very much for listening and do you get in touch to Villa Podcast on Twitter we will see you later all the best yeah.